Brazilians like to say São Paulo is the city that never stops. But this past Friday kinda did. A massive storm hit the state of São Paulo on November the 3rd. Winds of over 100 kilometers an hour killed eight people, wreaked havoc in several cities and left millions without electricity. To give you an idea of the damage, more than 300,000 homes in Greater Sao Paulo were still without power on Tuesday afternoon as we recorded this podcast. And this raised questions about the sale of utility companies to private groups and revived old privatization ghosts, which were associated with an increase in tariffs but a decrease in the quality of services. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. If you like Explaining Brazil, you should subscribe to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We're an independent organization funded by subscribers, and you can help us stay independent and continue to produce award-winning journalism. And if you are already a subscriber, you can go the extra mile and join our Buy Me A Coffee fan page. In return, you get exclusive perks like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. Today I'd like to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Gabriel Luca, Andrei Novoseltsev, Tom Nolan, Marta Martins, Pan Ludwig, Leslie Seal, Caroline Hubert, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Luis Hans, Erwin Menez, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vresvik, Alasdair Townsend, Peter Abrahamson, Jim Oofadeju, Marco Fryer, Miller Renacido, David Dixon, José Rosi Stankovic, Emerging Market Muser, Jordan Iftar, Tanika Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Peter Suffering, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. And our Buy Me A Coffee members come from all over the world, so please, if we're butchering the pronunciation of your name, do send us an email. And if you too believe in the importance of independent journalism and want to hear your name on our podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to learn more. This week I'm joined by Ewan Marshall, Deputy Editor of The Brazilian Report. How are you, Ewan? Hi, Gustavo. All good? So, Ewan, as our listeners know, we're based in Sao Paulo and we were off work on Friday due to a national holiday. And, I mean, I remember I'd gone to buy a pair of running shoes just before the rain hit. And when I left the subway near the mall, it was really cloudy, but still dry. But before I got to the shoe store, the mall had a power cut. Uh, we were in the dark for a few seconds until the generators kicked in, but stores still had no electricity 
you couldn't pay for anything and they were unable to check their stock rooms, which were pitch black. Now, fast forward to thousands of people at the doors of the mall trying to get a Uber home. And by the time I got into a cab, I saw four motorbikes being dragged by the wind. And that's when I kind of realized that this storm was a big deal, not just a regular strong rainfall. When I got home, my entire neighborhood was without electricity. What about you? Uh, where were you on Friday and how did the storm and the power cuts affect you? Well, yeah, luckily I was at home, um, but I very nearly lost all of the plant pots on my balcony uh, because really it was it was really quite impressive. Um, when you looked out on one side, the skies were you know clear and blue, but on the other side they were absolutely pitch black. Uh, it looked like something out of a kind of disaster apocalypse film. Uh, we had no problems with uh, power cuts where I live, but in a lot of the adjacent neighborhoods, there were massive problems. Uh, I remember on Sunday night, late on Sunday night, uh, just as I was going to sleep, there was, I was woken up by a bunch of applause and shouting and car horns going off and fireworks. I thought that had been a, a kind of a football result that I'd missed, but actually it was just people from adjacent neighborhoods celebrating that their their electricity had come back on after more than two days. Jesus. And I mean, it feels like every time we see a big storm in Brazil, we see thousands, this time millions of people being left without electricity. What's going on there? Well, if our listeners live in Brazil or they've visited before, I'm sure they probably noticed those kind of huge amount of visible cables that there are above the streets around cities um, and smaller towns, often in less than great condition. Many of them are power cables uh, because much of the country's network is above ground. So whenever trees fall after a storm, there's a big risk that they'll fall onto power cables, knocking out the electricity in the surrounding area. Uh, and on Friday, Sao Paulo city officials received over a thousand reports of fallen trees. And between 1.5 and 2.1 million people in Greater Sao Paulo were left without electricity. Um, some of them for a couple of hours. Like me. <laughs> yeah, and some are still without electricity now. Uh, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon. There are still about 300,000 homes in the region without power. Uh, and immediately after this massive blackout, we heard calls for officials to move the city's power cable network underground. Which so many developed countries already do. Yeah, and you know Brazil does have some underground electrical networks, but only in specific locations, uh, like historic centres. And there are no cities where you know most of the cables are underground. Um, but doing so, making that transition would require a lot of investment from companies, because the cost of putting electricity cable networks underground is eight times higher than doing it above ground, say the distributors. And of course, that would have an effect on electricity bills. So it's ideas like these that elected officials always try to kick down the road because no one likes to see their power bills go up. And I mean, I imagine that is especially the case now because we are in this final 12 months, especially since we're having municipal elections in 2024, right? Exactly. But not everyone believes the only solution is to bury the cables, right? No, uh, Sao Paulo state governor, Tarcísio de Freitas, he said the problem was the, quote, tree issue. 
Uh, he said that the city should be managing its trees better, trimming branches and making sure that those that have rotten roots are removed before they risk falling onto power cables. And then there is Enel, the Italian multinational company that acquired Sao Paulo's now defunct state-owned power company Eletro Paulo in 2018. And, you know, NL representatives, they're not at all shouldering any blame. Um, they say that the company does not owe consumers an apology because Friday's storm was, quote, exceptional. And Nicola Cotugno, who is NL's president in Brazil, he even said that when a hurricane hits Texas, the fault is not of the power company, but of the hurricane itself. Right, but many consumers would disagree with that assessment, and they say that since NL took over in Sao Paulo, their power bills have gotten more expensive, but the quality of the service that is rendered to them has worsened. Yeah, I mean, NL is not popular. Uh, consumer satisfaction has gone down year after year, gone from 70% in 2019 to 55% last year. And the company ranks just 19th among 29 major utility companies in terms of supply continuity, which isn't a good score. Enel um, defends itself by saying that its performance has improved annually, which is true because the company ranked 25th in 2019. Now, consumers are taking issue with the fact that Enel has slashed its payroll, downsizing staff from almost 24,000 workers in 2019 to just over 15,000 now. Uh, and meanwhile, they double their profits. Um, so many people look at these numbers and they see this causal relationship with Friday's blackout. Yeah, and you can understand why. Uh, but the relationship between one thing and another is not so obvious. Uh, NL says that its personnel cuts were largely in administrative areas and didn't affect its operational staff, i.e. the ones who are sent to the streets to try and fix the power supply issues. And the company said in a statement that it currently has a more effective network recovery response than in previous years. And does the data back them up? Well, the average number of electricity outages in Brazil has declined steadily over the past decade. Uh, in 2022, consumers experienced an average of 5.39 power cuts. And the average duration of those cuts is also decreasing from almost 19 hours in 2015 to less than 11 hours now. And that's still higher than in the US, where average consumers experienced 7.3 hours of power outages in 2021, which is down from 8.2 hours in 2020, but is more than double 2013's rate. Meanwhile, the Brazilian trend is going downwards. And many believe that electricity outages stand to become more common because extreme weather events, many of them driven by climate change, are wreaking havoc on countries' aging power infrastructures. And I mean, power outages are not just a matter of short-lived annoyances, right? Exactly, because many people lost their perishable food over this last weekend because their refrigerators and freezers were off. People that take medicines that require special storage conditions also face problems. And you know, a power cut can even be deadly for people who depend on medical equipment or for those who lose heating or air conditioning during periods of extreme temperatures. And for these people who lost goods, expensive medicines, will they be compensated for their losses? Well, Brazil's Justice Ministry said on Monday that its Consumer Protection Agency will notify NL about the extended power cut. Um, and the Justice Ministry has required NL to provide information about customer service channels, how it is reinstating supply to consumers and its plans for compensating them. 
And the government will also provide guidelines for consumers to seek compensation for food and medication lost due to the outage. Now, one big question that has surfaced is around the privatization of utility companies, because, I mean, it happens every time there is a problem. When a public company screws up, it is treated by some as unequivocal proof that it has to be privatized in order to become more efficient. But then, if a private company does so, others see it as ironclad evidence that private groups only care about shareholder value and they don't give a crap about consumers. Of course, this time I assume it would be no different, right? Right, yeah. Uh, so on. Surprisingly, perhaps, the left wing is using the extended power cut as a key argument against the process to privatize Sabespi, which is Sao Paulo's sanitation company. On social media, lawmakers opposed to privatization and even some pre-candidates for the 2024 municipal election and one cabinet minister of the Lula government, they've all cited NL's slow response to the energy crisis as justification for the need to maintain essential services such as water and electricity under public control. And one city councillor who belongs to President Lola's Workers' Party, which in the state of Sao Paulo is the main opposition force to the right-wing state government, he filed a motion to open a hearings committee against NL for Friday's outage. But there is already a hearings committee against NL going on, isn't there? Yeah, and that's an inquiry that's investigating the sale of Eletro Paulo to NL. Uh, but this new motion would be to investigate the outage and the company's liability in that. And it would also be at a municipal level. And what do privatization hawks say to defend the mo that model? Well, Tarcísio de Freitas, the aforementioned governor of São Paulo, he is a staunch defender of privatizations. And his government presented a bill last month that would launch a share offering that would hand control over Sabespi to private investors. And Freitas has been critical of the contract signed with NL, and he claims that the Sabespi deal would be different. He says that the privatization of Eletro Paulo contained no clear goals for municipalities and poorly calculated the value of investments. And he also stated that in the case of the privatization model that he's proposing, the government of Sao Paulo would remain as a shareholder of the company to, quote, guarantee that its obligations will continue to be carried out and that we will not lose the capacity for dialogue. Now, what's frustrating about this debate about privatization is how shallow it is with everybody just using the latest incident to prove their point without ever delving into the complexities of these issues. Because we have many privatization success stories in Brazil. For instance, just look at telecommunications. Less than 30 years ago, having a landline was a luxury in Brazilian households. Families would wait for months to get one, and it was so expensive that you would declare it on your income tax as a deductible asset, like a car or real estate. I remember for years we didn't have a phone at home, and my parents would go to my grandparents' home uh, every two days to get or make phone calls. And it was the privatization of telecom services that made Brazil enter this reality in which now, in 2023, we have more smartphones than people. Now, in my opinion, the common denominator of failed privatizations is a lack of proper regulation and enforcement. Uh, not necessarily that private companies are bad at providing services, but the fact that watchdogs 
are not scrutinizing them as much as they should and putting them back into how they should be acting. It's a fair point because, I mean, at the end of the day, whatever you fall on the ideological or moral question of privatization or nationalization, we all just want services that work and that benefit the population as a whole. Uh, private capital is prone to ignoring social welfare and the hunt for profit, but that's where oversight has to come in to keep these providers in line. And I totally agree with you. Now, anything else you would like to end even before we wrap this episode? Well, I think one big takeaway from Friday's storm is that Brazil's most populous and most developed urban centre, Sao Paulo, is not prepared to deal with extreme climate events. Which is kind of terrifying considering that extreme events are becoming increasingly common, right? Yeah, because extreme rainfall has become more common in lots of parts of Brazil, not just in Sao Paulo. And the number of days with more than 80 millimetres of rain doubled between 2011 and 2020. And that's according to a recent report from the National Institute of Meteorology. So we have to brace ourselves for the possibility of more frequent and longer lasting power cuts, I'd say. Thank you, Ewan. Thanks, Gustavo. Ewan Marshall is a deputy editor at The Brazilian Report. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help us reach a wider audience. Or better yet, subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. Thanks to our subscribers, we have been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively and our work has won and been shortlisted for several international journalism awards. More recently, our newsletters won the best newsletter prize in the Americas from the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers for a small or local newsroom. And we are also pleased to announce that we are among the 16 finalists for the fifth annual Premio Mosca Journalism Prize awarded by the prestigious Brazilian news agency Livre.Shore. We'll be represented by our December 2022 expose on the renting of children by poor Brazilian panhandlers, and the results and the results will be announced in mid-November. In order to keep doing that work, we need your support. Go to brazilian.report/subscribe. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week.